Hello, welcome. Uh, take a seat, please. Um, uh, I'm Dan. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, kind of <laughs> lead this great community of, of faith here. Um, before I say anything that I plan to say today, um, God brought me into a fit of laughter during our time of worship. Um, as we sang of him being a provider, uh, kind of Jehovah Jireh is the name that, uh, that Abraham had given him, and said, you know, you, you are the God uh, who provides. Um, I was just, I was reminded, this, this, just this week we had our house washed, all the siding, power washed, and I had to tell the guys when they got here, we've got some baby birds in the corner of the porch, so you've got to leave that area alone. And so they did, and they got everything sprayed the wrong way from what they were maybe planning on doing. But as we were, as we were worshiping, I closed my eyes, and I just saw the nest, and I saw the chicks, and they're getting bigger. So now you can see them when you look out my study window, kind of peering over the edge of the nest. And um, Mama Bird comes and feeds them, providing for them. Um, and we've had birds try to build nests in our porch for, for years and never been successful. Uh, we've had them built in hanging baskets, and it's kind of worked, but you've got to water the basket still, and so you've got to try not to water the eggs. And we've had, uh, we've had snakes crawling across the house to get the eggs. This is the first time there's been a success story. Um, and as I was up on a ladder checking it out, I... <laughs> God just reminded me of this now. Um, the amount of bird muck, right, that is around this nest. And that's what's keeping it in place. And I was like, okay. And so I brought to laughter because I'm feeling like God's saying, sometimes I keep you in place with a whole load of crap. But don't worry, I'm going to still come back and provide all that you need the same way Mama Bird feeds those chicks. So if you're going through a difficult time and you're feeling like there's a bit of a, I don't know, just like, ugh, my life is just crap right now, then know God's got you where he's wanting you, right? He's going to provide for you in that situation because he's the God of all our days. He's a good, good father. He is Jehovah Jireh. So I just want to pray into that before we begin the message for today. So, Father, we are so thankful that you are all that we need, that you give us everything we need to survive in life and to survive in you. And that starts with your son, who you gave, who hung on the tree so that we get to be free. So for all that you've done and all that you are still to do, we give you thanks that you are the God of all of our days. And we come to you in thanks and praise this morning. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen. So we are um, in a season where we are looking at the Apostles' Creed. And we've looked at, over the last two weeks, that first part of the Apostles' Creed. We looked at, um, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And, 
as the creed's broken down, we're going to be breaking it down into many pieces, but really, in its simplistic form, you can break it into three pieces, where we talk about the Father, and we covered that in the last couple of weeks, and then you start to talk about the Son, and then you go on to speak about uh, kind of the, the, the Spirit. And so it's Trinitarian in its nature. And I don't want to say too much about the Trinitarian nature of the creed, because that will steal away from Trinity Sunday's message, where I'm going to really talk about the Trinity, and that's in just after the, uh, after the Easter season. We're going to have an all-together worship service on Pentecost Sunday, uh, followed by that, that time where we're going to discern our future as a church. And then we have Trinity Sunday, and then they're kind of a little break from the creed, and then we'll pick up the creed again uh, post-Trinity Sunday. Um, but it's, as we break it down further, and we come today to, I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, what are we saying when we say those words? What are we actually professing? Well, we as Christians are set apart from the rest of the world because of our faith in Jesus, Okay? People will say, yeah, I believe in God. And we have our brothers and sisters from, from the Jewish faith who will say they, they kind of can relate to, to God, God the Father. And, and, and as we looked at that, that kind of Old Testament sense of God as Father. But they're just not accepting Jesus. You know? They get the spirit side of things. Um, and, and they can see how God works through people. But they don't accept Jesus. So that's what really sets us apart. So it's vitally important that when we come to the creed, as we break it out into three sections, that the biggest section is all about Jesus. And that's what we're going to concentrate on for the next couple of weeks at least. And we're going to look at Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. And we're going to cover that today. Um, and like I said last week, I find it a little bit funny, laughable, that we have people who will describe themselves as Bible-believing Christians. Because they go together. And if you say one, it should imply the other. If you're a Christian, you believe what the Bible says. If you believe what the Bible says, you're a Christian. So you don't need to have that, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, like it makes a difference to another Christian. You know, it doesn't. And then you've got others who even bring it down a bit further. Like, I'm a red-letter Christian. Like, like, so all the black words don't matter? <laughs> like, what are, we, what are we saying here when we say I'm a red-letter Christian? It, it doesn't make sense. But people are saying that. And sadly, that really then impacts the rest of their life. It impacts the rest of the way that they then talk to other people about their faith. See, it's a sad reflection of society that minimalistic living has become part of faith. Don't get me wrong, I, I kind of like to sometimes have little. My wife will tell you that sometimes I hoard things and my study looks like I'm just waiting for her to come in and get rid of everything. But when I have a sort through, I like to be minimalistic in some things, but you can't be minimalistic in your faith. You can't be. But yet, the world 
is kind of trying to pull us that way. And some, some people and some churches are following that suit. But when we do that, it really impacts the way in which we think about God. It impacts our theology. And if we have a minimalistic theology, we're heading in a very dangerous direction. Because we're not supposed to. We're supposed to have anything but a minimalistic idea of God. He is grand. He is bigger than we could ever think. So let's not try to squeeze him down to be tiny. See, people all over the world will say things like, and you'll probably have people who you know say, I love Jesus, but I can't do with anything else. You know, get rid of the church. <laughs> get, rid of, get rid of all this theology. I just want Jesus. Okay. And, and even people like, Jesus Christ and nothing else. Don't talk to me about theology. Like, you just said a very profound theological statement when you said Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> the one who saves and is the Messiah. Do you want to <laughs> talk about that? Or do you want to just leave everything else? And it just bringing it down, minimalizing things. It's dangerous because it leads to unorthodox living. It leads to heresies. And that, that just is not where we need to be as a church, both, both a local church here and, and, and across the world as the church. Um, we need to stick to Scripture and to the Jesus that is revealed to us in Scripture. Yeah, not some Jesus someone else has made up, but Jesus that's revealed to us in scriptures. And the creed is a summary of that scriptures. Summary of the Jesus that we find in scripture. Because if we don't stick to Jesus from scripture, then we are identifying with someone else. We are identifying with an idol. Because if, if it's not found in scripture, then it isn't Jesus. They can call it Jesus all they like. But it isn't. It's an idol that's been created. We're going to walk in faith. We've got to follow the way, the truth, and the life. We can't follow a different path. Because it's not going to get us to the Father, even if it pretends that it might, because it's not following Scripture. See, because <laughs> we've got to say Jesus is the king of the cosmos. He's everything that ever was. Everything that's ever going to be, he is the king. And if we're going to minimalize it, we're not going to say that statement. We're not going to believe into what we're professing in the creed. And a great place to start with this in Scripture and go to a look at, at who is Jesus is Hebrews chapter 1. And I don't, I don't want to read the whole thing for you, um, but I'm going to read the opening few verses. And we'll talk a bit about some of the others, but just, just to highlight it. Hebrews chapter 1, starting at, at verse 1, says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become 
as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, we just sang name above all names, right? Jesus is the name above all names. But it's not just the name that's more important, that's greater. He himself, scriptures just, you just read it. He himself is exalted above the angels. Okay, he is, he is higher than any priest that ever has been or ever will be. And he supersedes the prophets. And when, when we read this, you know, long ago God spoke through the prophets and now he's spoken through his son. It's not saying there is no need for prophets anymore. Okay? You want to learn out more about that? Then we can chat. Join us on a, on a Tuesday evening once a month for Discipleship for All where we're really unpacking what it is to live into the fivefold ministry of Ephesians 4, for, for St. Paul's ecclesiology, how the church has been built to exist. What does Jesus want the church to look like? He's not saying get rid of that. We don't need prophets anymore. That's not what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. The writer of the Hebrews is saying Jesus is more than the prophets. You know, before God spoke through the prophets, God still speaks through prophets today. But he's saying Jesus is the louder voice. Jesus is the voice that you need to hear. And anything that a prophet or, or someone comes to, to, to say today, acting as a prophet, you've got to test it against the word of God. Because there's no fresh revelation. Everything that is revealed to us today is backed up by his word. Okay? And Jesus, nothing Jesus said isn't the word of God. Because he is God and it's his word. So we're not talking about kind of getting rid of, of thinking that we have on fivefold ministry and on, on the way the church is to function. It's, it's not a contradiction in that. It's just saying Jesus is the loudest voice. Jesus should be the loudest voice. Because the prophets of old, they were kind of God's mouthpiece. Okay, they're the ones who, who were, were in between God and the people. They kind of, they would... They would uh, represent the people in front of God to a degree, and they would hear God for the people. And, and if you think about what a prophet did, a prophet always, always, continuously calling people back to God, calling the nation back to live as they had, um, as they had said they would live in the covenant agreement that they'd made with God. The prophet would remind them what God had promised them and what they had promised God, and how that relationship is formed. Striving for the people to make a commitment, or recommitment to God. See, a prophet was always sent by God to tell people what God wanted them to hear. But Jesus supersedes all the prophets and comes and tells us again what we need to hear. But his voice needs to be the loudest, the greatest voice. And today we have many voices, don't we? Many voices, many noises in the world. Many different things that want to get our attention. And we've got to choose to turn them off. And tune into God's voice. We've got to choose to... Uh, to, to increase 
our desire for theology, the study of God. Not minimalize it to the extent where we're letting all these other noises take up space, have capacity of our mind. We want God. We want, we want to know him more. And we want him to just work in and through our lives. It, it's, it's a sad reflection on society that, well, it's a sad reflection on the church globally that has to a degree allowed society and culture to f- kind of reframe, um, is a word thinking of, um, reframe the gospel. Instead of allowing the gospel to influence the culture, they've allowed the culture to influence what the church is teaching. And that's just dangerous. That's just, that's no wonder we're in such a, a, a pit <laughs> being held in place by a whole load of bird muck. Right? God is still providing for us, yes, but we're surrounded by a whole load of junk because we're not getting things quite right. Jesus has got to be the loudest voice because he is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. And Hebrews 1, it it talks about that, doesn't it? You know, those first few verses that I read, Jesus has purification of sins. Okay, then he went and sat down at God's right hand. What's that? What's that actually mean? This is just simple evidence of Jesus went to the cross. Okay, and later in Hebrews, he goes on to say, uh, Jesus is our great high priest. Well, this is pointing to that very fact that Jesus is our great high priest, that he is greater than any priest that ever has been or ever will be through the purification of sins. Because what's the job of a priest in in the Old Testament and in the time of Jesus? The job of a priest was to be a bridge between the people and God. To intercede for the people. To to offer sacrifice. So that the people could go on about living their life. Doesn't that just speak of Jesus? He came. He sacrificed himself. He now sits at God's right hand and he intercedes for us. He is the greatest priest there ever can be. That, that that, that, there's no other way to say it about Jesus. He supersedes all the prophets. He's greater than any priest that ever has been. You see, it's not good enough for us to come and, and to look at Jesus as being a prophet or being a great priest and not at the same time acknowledge that he is the Christ and many people will do that today you'll hear many people talk about it you'll hear many people who lead churches talk about it brings back bad memories for me of things that I've read and studied in the past of people in their search for the historical Jesus you might have heard that phrase before you know We're in search of the historical Jesus. 
okay? But you can't separate the historical Jesus from the Jesus of the gospel. Because if it's, if it's Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord, then it's all that's, all that's revealed to us in Scripture. Yes, we might have evidence of in history, but if it isn't revealed to us in Scripture and you're trying to find something else, you're creating an idol. And that's not the route down which we are to travel. We don't gather as a church in the name of the historical Jesus, do we? <laughs> you know, we're here to worship Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. The one who is revealed to us through the written word. He is the word made flesh. Everything he said revealed here and everything in here will reveal him. It's Jesus Christ. And just to take a, a small pause before I go into looking at how he is um, exalted above the angels, I just want to just break that, that simple statement of faith. Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. Okay, what does that mean? Jesus, he who saves. Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, God's son, second person of the Trinity, equal to the Father, of one being with the Father. And then Lord, the one to whom we choose to submit, the one to whom we are going to bow down to, now and in the future. And that comes full circle back to this idea of, of a minimalistic faith. Because people will say, I love Jesus. They'll say, he's my savior. But with the next breath or the next action, they'll say, but he's not my Lord. And that's dangerous. Because even now in the church, people are teaching that Jesus can be your savior at the expense of him not needing to be your Lord. They go together hand in glove. You can't separate them. Because um, you hear people say, if you, you talk about Scripture, and you talk about the Jesus that's revealed in Scripture, and church leaders have said to me, well, that's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus they know, if it's not the one revealed by Scripture, is an idol they've created. And that's the same for all of us. Anything we think of as Jesus, if it's not backed up by the words of God, by the Scripture, then we've created an idol in our own minds and in our own lives. It undermines the church. It undermines what the church is called to do. It undermines the faith. And the Apostles' Creed is a summary of Scripture. Remember, everything that is in the Apostles' Creed, in order to profess yourself to be a Christ follower, a disciple, a Christian, whatever you want to call it, you've got to believe everything that's in the Apostles' Creed. And if you struggle with anything, and my door's open, we can talk about it. Because you've got to get it. 
You've just got to get it. Because if we understand it, and we really dive into it, then what we're saying here is, Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord, we're saying, I'm unworthy. We're saying I'm helpless. We're saying, I'm weak. We're saying lots of things that we don't like to say about ourselves. And we're saying, in it, I'm going to bow down and submit to Jesus. I'm going to submit. I'm going to choose him as my Lord. And what does that mean? That means giving up control. Who likes to give up control of their own life? I haven't met anybody yet. But that's what we're actually striving for. That's what our call in this is to do. It's to give him all authority in our life. Because he's king of the cosmos. He's got all authority anyway. But he gives us the option to try and steal a little bit away from him if that's what we want to do. See, if we don't believe in this statement, we choose to live as though we're moving away from Jesus, not toward him. And It's like we're coming to worship a wax model as opposed to the real thing. Yeah. Madame Tussauds is a, 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 like a, a place in, in London full of wax models of famous people. I don't know if there's an equivalent here, but um, you'll know the kind of thing I mean. And um, yeah, it's like not coming to the real thing, but coming to a cheap imitation. Um, We've got to get back to shaping culture with Scripture and not allowing culture to try and shape the church and Scripture, reframing it, um, which is sadly what's happening. Because you look anywhere you look, you'll see it. And we see it no more than the way in, G, in which Jesus is presented. Inside of churches, outside of churches, by the media, um, this minimalistic view, it's, it's saddening. Um, it misses the point. It misses the whole point of what Jesus came to do, of who he is, and of who he makes us. And, and I wish I could say it was not as prevalent as it is. But in examples of churches throughout this land, in churches, in churches within denominations of, of the United Church of Christ, within churches that are part of the United Methodist Church, within churches that are part of the Episcopal Church, within part, churches that are part of the ELCA, the we're, we're part of. And, and they're, all, they're all deciding to ignore the Jesus that is revealed in Scripture. And a huge example of this was a, an Episcopal a church that decided to have a new service. And, and they decided to take out the word Lord in reference to Jesus. 
as a lifelong Anglican, I can tell you that's completely against anything I know of Anglicanism, completely goes against the Book of Common Prayer. As someone leading a Lutheran church, I can tell you that's completely against anything Luther would ever say, against anything Luther has ever written, and against the mass that he set up. It is it's diabolical. To have people say things like, oh, we don't use the word Lord because it's a loaded term these days. It talks about someone having power and authority over you. Yes. <laughs> that, that's Jesus. And they're like, well, no, 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 no. And, and the priest who, who led this church said that she didn't believe in fact, she, she even didn't say it. She said, that isn't how Jesus considered himself. And if he didn't consider himself that, then we shouldn't use that word. And I'm, <laughs> if I didn't laugh at the stupidity, I'd be in tears. I'd be in tears. How anybody can read scripture and get to a description of Jesus doesn't, doesn't say that he is the Lord, doesn't agree that he is, or doesn't think that he's the Lord. I mean, yeah, he didn't lord it over people, but at no point did he ever step outside of the reason that he came to be our Lord and Savior. Again, it's the separating of the two. Either Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, or... Like C.S. Lewis says, he's a madman. You can't, you can't go somewhere in the middle. It's either or. Either he's the Lord and Savior, or he was a madman. You, you, can't, you can't change it. You can't think in the middle somewhere. He's the king of the cosmos. And, and it... It's upsetting that we've got people who think anything different and yet profess to be his followers. Things don't add up there. It's like a big joke I tell my kids, yeah? 10 and 10 is the same as 11 and 11. No? What's 10 plus 10? What's 11 plus 11? Exactly. Right? You see how you take what is truth and you mess it with it and then you come out with a different answer. And you come out with something that is now perceived as truth or can be twisted to become truth, even though it isn't. That's a perception that people are doing. That's what people are doing with Jesus. And expecting the church to follow suit. That's what people even inside of the church are doing. And it's not. It's not okay. And we have got to speak against it. We've got to stand up for what is the truth. We've got to stand up for the Jesus that is revealed to us in Scripture. Jesus, who is superior to the prophets. Jesus, who is the great high priest over, over all other priests. And a Jesus who 
is exalted above the angels. And that's what the rest of, of Hebrews 1 kind of digs into. Um, <clears throat> I haven't got time to unpack those 10 verses because that would be a whole other message all by itself. Uh, but just to point on a few things that are kind of, of, of bracketed in there. Why is Jesus exalted above all of the angels? Well, what is an angel? An angel is a messenger from God. That's what it means, right? And whenever we see an angel in Scripture, and we read about one, what's the first thing that an angel has to say to someone? Do not be afraid. And I don't know about you, but when I look upon pictures of angels that are created today, fear is the last thing that comes to my mind. You know? It's normally some fat little cherub. So I'm just saying what it is. That's what, that's what you normally see when, you, when people talk about angels. You know, but you go back and look at ancient art about angels. You're seeing warriors like Michael. Now that'll put the fear into you. That's what an angel looks like. An angel is there to resemble, to represent God, to give you a message. And that message is always Jesus. That's what the message is from the angel. They're there to share with you the good news. What else does it say in, in, in the rest of Hebrews? It talks to us about Jesus being the only begotten son. And that, that, that screams to me, my upbringing, the Nicene Creed. We don't say that here that often, but we say it occasionally in place of the Apostles' Creed. And what's the Nicene Creed say about Jesus? I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. Jesus is the creator of the angels. Through him all things were made. And so, not a, he's created the angels. He's the object of the angels' worship. Hebrews 1 tells us the angels worship him. Well, that's why they worship him. Because all things come under the power and the authority of Jesus as king of the cosmos. Why? Because he is of the same substance as the Father. He is the second person of the Trinity. So to believe in Jesus Christ is to believe that he is the Son of God. But it's also to step into him being your Lord. To believe in him is to declare he has authority over you. He has power over you. And not to live into this lie that it's too loaded a word and we shouldn't use it anymore. Jesus Christ is Lord. We get to choose to accept that, or we get to live in denial. Because when we do this, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and as our Lord, and we don't try to kind of rip them apart, we're changed. That's, that's how we're changed. Okay, we have a, an elevated status, you could say. 
Yeah? It's like... When I was younger, I was always known as my dad's son. Until people met me before they met him. <laughs> and then he would come to, to the church that I went to when he had a Sunday off. And they'd be like, oh, you're Dan's dad. And I'm like, yes. Right, elevated status. Yeah. Well, Jesus gives us that. Because as we live into him, we have an elevated status to be a child of God. Right? Does God love everybody? Yes, he does. Does he have a fatherly relationship with everyone that he calls them child? No, he doesn't. There's a clause in the, in the, in the, there's a, there's a clause in the relationship. There's, you've got to accept him as Lord and Savior. That's part of the covenant agreement. We have a relationship through the, with the Father because of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we get to God. That's how he is our bridge. In the same way that the great high priest would bridge the people and God. Jesus has bought us, Scripture says. No one else can make that claim. No one else can make that claim unless we let them make that claim. Unless we sell ourselves to them. But Jesus has bought us. Right? Read 1 Corinthians and you'll, 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 you'll get more of that. No one else can claim that. And we are, Paul says in Romans 8, that we are co-heirs of the kingdom. Yeah? Talk about an elevated status. You're a co-heir of the kingdom when you submit to him as Lord and you profess that in your faith and you live out that. Believe into it. That's what means, that's what it means to be a child of God. But that submitting part, that that giving in can be hard. I know that. I've never met anyone who has submitted fully to Christ. I haven't. I know I haven't. And that's, that's in itself a struggle and a sadness. But as I strive to become less myself and more him, I find joy. Unspeakable joy. And it, it's there for all of us as we strive and live into and believe into the fact that he is our Lord. So yes, it isn't easy, but it's not complicated, is it? Yeah, often people are like, oh, if it's too complicated, I can't do it. Right? Believing in Jesus is not complicated. <laughs> it's not easy to do, but it's not complicated. All we've got to do is accept that we are called to be about the things that Jesus is about. To look for what the Father is doing and join in. 
That's what Jesus says he did. That's what he calls us to do. It's to take on his mission. It's to take on his mission. And what is his mission? His mission is to reconcile the world to himself. That's it. That's, that's the mission of Jesus. And so as an outpost of the kingdom here in Columbia, Maryland, as individuals in your homes and your workplaces and, and wherever else you go, <laughs> Wendy likes to frequent the butcher on a Tuesday morning, right? She needs to reconcile the world to Christ. You all, we all need to reconcile the world to Christ. Take on his mission. Because he is Lord. Again, we can accept that or we can live in denial. He's the word made flesh. Every, point, every part of him points to scripture and every part of scripture points to him. So reconciling the world to himself, it can't be at the expense of Scripture. <laughs> it's got to be based on Scripture. He is Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come and first... first we just give you thanks that you sent your son, that you sent Jesus Christ to earth to be all that we can't be. We give you thanks that you are our provider in all of life. And you give us all that we need to step into relationship with you as well, to step into believing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit one substance. Oh. And bowing down in submission. Taking on your mission. And so Lord, as we continue to try to tune into what you're doing, help us tune out all of the other noise Help us tune out all of the junk and help us be stuck in the place that you want us to be however you need to make us stick. Because we come today declaring, yes, you are Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But God, you are Jesus Christ, Son one substance with the Father. And you're our Lord. And so help us live into that. Help us believe into that as we go forward in faith. We pray in your Son's mighty name. Amen.